Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Happy Friday, Coach Saku listeners. This is Mary, and I'm here joined by the wonderful Christina. And today we're talking about one of my favorite series, and that is none other than Samurai Shampoo. And if you don't know Samurai Shampoo, here's your synopsis. A ronin, a rogue pirate, and a young girl set out on a quest to find a samurai who smells of sunflowers. Anything else you'd like to add to that, Christina? Yeah, two things. First of all, sunflowers don't smell like anything. I would just like to, <laughs> We're gonna, you know, I, I start with that because a lot of what we're going to be talking about this episode is, is it okay for life to be trivial sometimes? <laughs> you know, is it like, like, how do we hone in on, you know, integrating all the parts of ourselves to move towards something, but also being able to find joy in the journey along the way. And related to that, one other fun fact that I love to share about this series is uh, what some people don't know, Samurai Shampoo. Shampoo literally means, I think, a stir-fried dish, like it's a type of stir-fry you can order. But apparently in Okinawa, which is a city in Japan, uh, the slang of it is that it can also be roughly translated to making it up as you go along, which is perfect for this particular series uh, because, Mary, you want to fill us in on the coaching conversation we want to have here? Of course, Christina, because the only conversation that's possible with Samurai Shampoo is one around integration. Let me tell you that integration shows up in so many different ways in this series that it's it's really cool to kind of explore them. And by integration, I'm talking about that incorporation of all those different aspects that we have and showing up authentically, like really speaking your truth. And I think where um, when there are tensions, when we think it has to be one way or the other, that kind of can cause, cause tensions when we're trying to integrate. And this series kind of reflects that in a few different ways. Because we can see that um, the Seminary Shampoo has like this really cool thing where they're mixed East and West. And sometimes in the series itself, this doesn't play out very well. Like you can see that they don't get each other. There are fights. There's also the integration of East and West when you hear like this <laughs> hip hop music coming into the fight scenes. <laughs> And there's also old versus new, like old ways of being versus new ways of being, like past versus future. And I think this conversation becomes relevant when we're working about, when we're talking about like integration, maybe at work, maybe you have a new boss or you have to work with a new team or there's new leadership in place. Or maybe even in your families, maybe there's a new partner, maybe there's a new family member that steps in, a new you know, like there are so many ways that integration can at times cause tension. 
when it's created out of circumstances and it doesn't really give you much choice. You got to just like go with it and see what you can create. Yeah, you know, just go with it and see what you can create. If that's not the dictionary definition of shampoo, I don't know what it is. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing to talk about with integration, uh, and Mary, you laid this out beautifully, is it's both an inside job and an outside job. You know, something unique about this series is that it's pretty episodic in nature. Like you can watch the whole thing and then ask yourself if you were really clear on what the plot was <laughs> in some ways. Um, and so the integration is both about people coming together and integrating into becoming a team and also integrating the various parts of yourself. You know, uh, we talk about this, we've talked about this quite a bit in some of our other series, like we've mentioned it in Demon Slayer, when you're combining heart and power. And I think we even talked about it a little bit in Boku no Hero Academia as well. It's a super cool theme to look at, especially with male protagonists in anime in general. Um, so where do you want to get started? Well, is there anything else you'd want to add around the visual storytelling piece? Because I know that's your forte, Christina. <laughs> and this one has a lot to talk about. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I think um, part of what I what I really want to reflect on here is you already mentioned like Eastern values and Western values and, you know, a lot of the media, like the fact that a lot of the music is hip hop derived while it's a Japanese anime production. Um, but the other place where I notice like a lot of visual storytelling in this concept of integration is that the average episode can be broken down into two parts. Outrageous goofiness that doesn't really seem to have a point and then badass sword fights. <laughs> and um, I think for some people that might feel jarring, like you might ask yourself like, well, then what was the point of this? But if you take a moment to sit with it for a second, I think it's a really great microcosm for life because I would assert that most people's lives are not 100% the goofy chill conversation of what can I get for free dumplings? And also not 100% cool, I'm gonna beat your face in with my sword and save the day. Like we actually have peaks and valleys in which sometimes we're on one side of the street and sometimes we're on the other. And so I think what's really great about Samurai Shampoo in the way that they have created this visual storytelling style is that they demonstrate that. Like, oh yeah, human beings, they go through many different moods and many different transitions and many different themes. And you just happen to be catching these three unlikely comrades uh, and wherever they are in that part of the journey for the day. Yeah, so let's talk about this troublesome trio, as I like to call them. Because they're, the three of them are really different. You have a, like a middle school girl. She's 15. You have Jin, who's a ronin, like traditional ronin samurai. And then you have Mugen, who kind of comes off as a thug, <laughs> you know, like a, a pirate thug. And they all come together to help, um, to help Fu, who's a little girl, find the samurai who smells of sunflowers, who we've determined doesn't really smell like anything. 
And that's all they know. This is this is the only clue they have. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know why we're looking for him. We just know that that's the mission. And it's almost like they got together out of a sense of keeping their word because Fu kind of tricks them into following her. And they're like, well, I guess since I gave my word, now I have to do this. But what's interesting about Jin and Mugen is that they're so different. So they're on opposing sides. They come off they, while they're both really strong warriors. Jin is like very elegant, very quiet. You know, he he's very, he has a lot of integrity. And then Mugen comes off almost like mercenary. Like he will do anything if you give him food or money. And so you have these two who are just like, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. And that's kind of when we first start to see that tension and integration, because this is now a little team that's really not gelling together very well. They try to kill each other at any chance that they have. And then I think in the second episode, they make a run for it. They're like, you know what? Peace out. We're not committed to this. (laughs) Goodbye. And I think that when we start looking at, well, what work, what does work? It's when they actually make a choice to have it go different because they could have kept going their own separate ways, but they do have, even though Mugen doesn't show it, he does have this moral value that keeps him tied to saving food, to keeping his word, to being the better person in some situations. And it's very similar to also what Jin reflects. And I think ultimately that's what keeps them together saying, you know what, we're going to follow her and make sure that she ends her journey well. Yeah. And let's look at that for a second, because, you know, oftentimes I, I coach a lot of leaders that manage teams. And so I'm in a lot of team conversations week to week. And inevitably, clients will always bring conversations around teammates or direct reports that trigger the crap out of them. And uh, oftentimes, the assertion that I have for anyone is that usually you're triggered because that person is actually a reflection of you in some way, either a reflection of a you that you kind of wish you were, or a reflection of a part of yourself that you don't like very much. And I mentioned that with Jin and Mugen because, yeah, on paper, polar opposites. You've got, you know, riffraff street rat, (laughs) the Aladdin of anime. And then you have Jin who is raised in the way of the samurai, like very traditional, higher class upbringing. But for both of them, despite that they have different ways about going, going about their lives, for both of them, they have experienced the same pivotal event that fundamentally changed how life was for them. And that event was one of betrayal. For Mugen, you see it with a friend of his and with Jin, you actually see it with one of his mentors. And I think it's really valuable to look at because when you think about it, the, you know, the traditional samurai and the rogue pirate, (laughs) pirate sword fighter we get as a result are both products of how they reconcile with the betrayal they've faced in their lives. And what's fascinating is even though it looks very different on the outside, to your point, Mary, internally, there's a lot of personal morals and personal code and integrity that they follow, even if they don't always follow the same code per se. Yeah, and that's actually what gives them the foundation to build a relationship because even though you've seen them fight throughout the whole ser- you know, series, 
you can tell that they they've actually formed a bond and a trust and a friendship because it starts out as well you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend and so I know you'll have my back in this fight but that actually starts transforming into more trust and especially in their interactions with Fu, it, they start to open more about their experiences and their past, which really at the end creates this bond for them that you know is unbreakable, even though, spoiler alert, they all go their different ways at the end. And we can talk a little bit more about that later on. But it's so cool to watch that transition between those two. And that leads into, well, who is Fu and what role does she play? And what, <laughs> what part does she play in this trio, Christina? Oh, man, as a literal question or a philosophical existential? <laughs> you know, I got to say something about the series. It's if you take it at face value. It's fun, it's cool, it's got some sword fights, it's got some cool character designs, and that's about it. But in some ways, I I feel like, first of all, Fu, there's a lot of mystery to Fu. Like, we don't really ever get to know much about her the same way that we do about Mugen and Jin. And, you know, oftentimes she just becomes the point of she's been captured again, we've got to go get her. <laughs> But if you look at her symbolically, I think that she just represents being a goal that's big enough to continue to work on what you're integrating. So in the literal sense, uh, Jin and Mugen honor their promise to her to help her find the samurai. But even in the metaphysical sense, it's like, oh yeah, when we have goals or passions or results that we're trying to produce, that is the thing and the reminder of that thing is big enough for us to be willing to integrate our heart and our power for us to be willing to integrate you know our hard-working mindset and our playful free-spirited free-flowing persona yeah it's kind of fascinating because you see that the bond between them actually develops pretty quickly even though they're unaware of it because even in those moments when they're separated, because Fu has been kidnapped, Jin is fighting some swordsman, Mugen is being seduced by a woman, <laughs> and each one is in a separate story, they all have this magical way of ending back in the same place together. And it's kind of like, that's why I think towards the end, it's almost like even though they're going their separate ways, you know that it's not the end of their story per se. And I think what Fu brings is that sense of connection because in the beginning, each one is super isolated. I mean, Fu has no one. She's, she's an orphan working at a restaurant that just burned down. You know, Jin is a ronin. He's, he's a rogue samurai. He's off by himself. And so is Mugen. And so I think she actually provides that access to connection and friendship and family in a way that they hadn't experienced in a really long time. And even though it's never stated and the enemy doesn't really go into it, it's almost like that's the bond that keeps them together time and time again, because they've now grown to trust and rely on each other. And I think that's one of the beauties of integration is that you do when it works and when you choose it. You do form bonds and partnerships. You can create something that's really magical and really st strong as a result. Yeah, and so with all that being said, Mary, um, let me ask you a tricky question. 
why do you you think that the conclusion of this journey is yes they find this samurai that smells of sunflowers and then they go their own ways what does that represent in your in your own personal opinion because I have my own thoughts yeah Christina I I thought a lot about it because I love I love this series um and for me it wasn't about the storyline itself it was about when yes they have amazing swords swordsmanship (laughs) and that was always near and dear to my heart but I also think there's something about how real it can be because in reality when we think about our lives we form friendships and relationships all the time and it's almost like there's a time and place for certain relationships and then we get the value we get that connection that we needed in that moment and then it's time for us to move on and move forward and continue that. And that doesn't mean that we never talk to the person again. It just means that now we're at a different place in life. So it's almost like mirroring what real life can be like sometimes, even though it's hard to let go. Nice. Yeah. My take on it is, um, to me, it almost, so we've talked about breakthroughs before on the podcast and, you know, this idea that like breakthroughs aren't just like, cool, that was fun. But it's actually like when you have a breakthrough, whatever you had it in will never be the same way ever again. Like you will never create relationships from that old place ever again. You will never (laughs) create business from that old place ever again. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, these three unlikely, what'd you call the troublesome trio, the three unlikely amigos here, the way that they are able to come together to me, represents an innovation and a breakthrough in how they experience connection, partnership, and personal growth. And, you know, we we were talking about my love of the the East meets West and the storytelling and, and how to see that. And something else that's unique, though at times subtle in the series, is that it almost seems like Jin, Mugen, and Fu are given more modern nuances than some of the other background characters in the series. Like, I think specifically just because they run into them so often, the various police officers, um, like the police officers, there's a way it goes. And it's very traditional. It's very classic, that time period, that time era of Japan. And it's almost like they're stagnant in it. Like, this is the way it will always be. And when you suddenly have these elements of Western hip hop music, when you suddenly have these elements of, yes, they're sword fighting, but it's almost like they're break dancing at the same time. It, it's exciting. Like it's a break in the reality that the rest of this Japan lives in. And I think it's a really great representation of how these characters are transforming into something, even if they're not quite sure what or for what purpose yet. Yeah, Christina, I think you just put so well why we would choose integration, why we would choose change. Because here's the thing, integration, especially when it comes out of circumstances and we're not really aware of it, can be really uncomfortable. And we might not want to. And we're like, why is this new person coming in? Why do I have a new boss or coworker or leader or team? Whatever it is. But think of, well, why would you choose it? Why would you choose to integrate? And to your point, Christina, it's like change is necessary, you know, to move forward. I mean, where would we be if we hadn't, if, you know, like we didn't have that integration of East meets West 
you know, we wouldn't have access to anime, which is a travesty. <laughs> In the same way that other cultures wouldn't have access to like hip hop or, you know, something that's really Hollywood, you know, something that's really American, something that's really ours. So think about integration in your own life and where you're kind of resisting it and where that fear is showing up because it's probably trying to tell you something. And then remember that you can always choose outside of that, regardless of whether it was circumstantial. (laughs) Yeah, but the real plot point we are trying to drive home here is we need to thank integration for us having access to anime. (laughs) Um, Somewhat joking, but you know, uh, it it even makes me think of how uh, I think integration is the root of inspiration in a lot of ways like I think of Avatar The Last Airbender and how its creators were so clearly influenced by Japanese anime and then on the flip side uh Horikoshi Sensei the man who writes My Hero Academia has stated in multiple interviews how deeply he's inspired by American comic books and American superheroes and it's amazing. There's actually uh, people on Reddit that will compare panels of Batman comics to panels that Horikoshi draws and you see like the inspiration in real time. Um, so yeah, it fuels our connection. It fuels our partnerships, but also fuels our art and our creativity. So why wouldn't you want to try it? Yeah. And yeah, that also Christina, there's a lot of integration of art in this series. Like so much Van Gogh and, you know, Van Gogh inspired sunflowers again, but also there's that traditional Japanese art, which is so cool to see in an anime. So for so many reasons, integration is just a great conversation to have. And then before we wrap up, can we just talk about some of our favorite moments? Because one of mine was the eating contest in which, okay, there's a dumpling eating contest and you have all these people, including Jean and Mugen. And here's Fu out eating, who's like a tiny petite 15 year old out eating everyone at the table. That girl, I don't know where it went, but I think somebody said her stomach was as big as the cosmos. Like this was an evolutionary level of of eating. And that was one of my favorite moments in the series. And I was like, wow, Fu, that's really is your superpower. Yeah, that one's pretty good. (laughs) Um, I think for me, one of my favorite moments is it's around episode 10 or 11, I think, where we actually get Jin to have a little bit of a love story. Um, and more specifically, you know, there's this moment where he falls in love with this woman and tries to save her from an arranged marriage that she's in. And I think part of why I really loved that episode is because so much of the series is either so silly or so action-packed. And this was one of those moments where we really got to catch a glimpse of how big his heart is. And, you know, in a lot of ways, we kind of catch a glimpse of like how much sadness is in his past. And so for me, you know, you know me, I always love the angry ones. Like Mugen, I already loved from the start of the series. Jin was a little uptight, but this was probably like the moment for me where I really fell in love with him and empathized with him as a character. Yeah, my other favorite moment was in the same Dumpling episode. I think that was probably one of my favorite episodes because they meet the Hollandese um, Japanese. He's like trying to be Japanese, but he's from Holland. 
And I think why I really loved that interaction was because he goes to see this kabuki, like a show, a theater show, and realizes that the main actor was a man who was portrayed as a woman. And he goes, oh, I like you even more now. And that's because, you know, it was a crime, I guess, in Holland at that time to be gay. And and so he found someone that he really liked who was also a man. And that just kind of sparked something new. And that also shows, again, like that idea of old meets new and how sometimes we don't have a choice and we have to wait things out. So, yeah, lots of feels in this show, too, for different reasons, but a lot of fun either way. Yeah, and then maybe just to uh, wrap it up with a, a funnier moment, <laughs> I thought one of the most ridiculous plot points uh, ever was, you know, when they're, it's, there's this moment where the three of them are attempting to cross the border, but they're doing it with like fake passports or fake IDs. And so, of course, they get arrested. And of course, they're sentenced to death because every other episode, <laughs> at least one of them is getting sentenced to death for something. And, you know, Mugen strikes up a deal that he'll go out into this forest and try to, you know, bring back uh, or try to deliver something despite all the bandits that are in the forest. And what ends up happening during what is catastrophic, of course, naturally with this setup, is he runs through this field that happens to be a crop of this plant that is, it might have been poppy even, but it's a plant that's a hallucinatory drug. And so it goes up in flames. He's being pursued by these bandits. And the next thing you know, all of them are high as fucking kites. (laughs) And the pursuit is still happening. And it's just so bizarre. And kind of going back to your point, Mary, of like the integration of like that more Western art style with Van Gogh and the Impressionism and all that stuff. It's it's so trippy that I'll just never forget it. Like it's it's really fun and really weird and really delightful. Yeah. So on that note, integration. So many reasons why you should. (laughs) And Look, if you're looking at your life and you're like, hey, I'd like to figure out a way to integrate this because I know that I'm getting triggered by it and I need some support, reach out. We're happy to have that conversation. Also, if you have any more anime suggestions that kind of fit along this line that you'd like us to cover, let us know too. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram at Coach Takupad. Leave us a message, um, post. We're happy to hear from you. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next time. Hey, thanks so much for watching this episode of Coach Taku. For subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Taku Pod, C O H C H T A C U P O D, or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host. In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at herextinaroar on Instagram. And you can follow Mary at mary, M-E-R-Y, dot the nerdy coach. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.